So I'm speaking with composer Chris Hajian, whose talent and versatility can be heard in films like The Take, uh, Yonkers Joe, First Position, and now The Infiltrator, among many other great projects. Uh, he's re reconnecting with director Brad Furman for the new crime thriller starring Brian Cranston. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for speaking today. I know it's a bit late for you because you're in New York, but uh, thanks for making the time. <laughs> Always, and thank you for having me on. It's good to uh, talk to you again. Of course. Um, so I know we did an interview a few years ago, um, but I, I, I know we covered some of your upbringing and your background, but I'd kind of like to revisit that a little bit in case some people uh, don't know. Um, you, you, I mentioned you're in New York because that's, you know, you live there, and I was wondering if you could talk about, you know, growing up in New York and essentially building a successful career as a film composer, especially since I think the idea out there is that if you, you want to make it in, in this industry, you need to be in Los Angeles, but clearly... Uh, there is an industry in you know places around the world, including where you are in New York. No, absolutely. You know, it's definitely a choice. You know, it's a little different. I would say the last. I, I'm going to date myself a little bit. The last ten years uh, I, with the technology. You know, now the way you're able to send files and upload things, and, and you know, even Skype, and you know, you can just look. Nothing beats being in the room with somebody, and I fully, fully embrace. Anytime you start a creative connection or start a project, you got to get in the room, at least in those beginning stages. Right. But the technology has made it possible for composers to work all the place. And like, look at all the European composers. I mean, they're not necessarily always in the same room. So uh, New York, as you know, has a very vibrant music community and, and a pretty vibrant uh, film community, you know, be it smaller than L.A. and you know, not as in, uh, ensconced in the studio system. But right. you know, there's a lot of quality films coming out here and a lot of composers who make their homes here, uh, you know, Carter Burwell and Elliot Goldenthal and Howard Shore and, you know, a lot of big ones and some other, you know, uh, terrific composers who are uh, working in the arenas that I'm working as well. So, so for me, it was a choice, you know, I grew up with my dad being a trumpet player and a, a big presence in my life musically. And I frankly, I guess I didn't want to be that far away from him. I wanted to kind of stay in his world musically and be here. And then, you know, my family, I started my family here. So it just ended up like it felt right for me to stay here and build my career with that said, I go out to L.A. a ton and always have been for the last 15, 20 years. So, you know, you have to uh, go with your contacts on. You have to make sure that you're always uh, nurturing those contacts and, and, and showing people that, yes, I live here, but you know what? You want me there tomorrow morning? I'll be on a red eye and I'll be there. No problem. You know? <laughs> exactly. so, and, yeah, you do that. So, you know, there used to be a thing years ago. A lot of non-L.A.-based composers and had 310 cell phone numbers right. <laughs> that they would forward. You know, I thought that was kind of brilliant, you know. <laughs> Oh, yeah, what time is spotting ticket? One, oh, can you make it at five? And to give themselves a little more time to fly in. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, you know, I, I also am very connected to the music scene in New York, and there's so much diversity here with it. I think on some level that kind of defines me and is part of my kind of musical essence. So right. for me, it was the right choice. Absolutely. Um, and New York, you know, you mentioned there's a lot, there's a big film scene, and New York is one home of one of the most uh, prestigious film schools in the world. I mean, NYU, um, of course, which, hap which yeah. happen happens to be where uh, Brad Furman got his education, and I'm not mistaken, that's where, that's how you met Brad, right? Is that kind of, you met him while he was in film school? Correct. Well, when he just got out of film school. So um, I didn't go to NYU myself, I went to Manhattan School of Music, right. but, you know, I'm very connected to all the, and, and Columbia, too, also has a good film school as well, but yeah. clearly takes. In fact, tomorrow night, Brad invited me to go. Uh, he's doing a, uh, they're doing a screening of Infiltrator and a Q&A with Brian Cranston and Brad, and Brad asked me to come by and maybe be a part of that at the end of that. So that's kind of be kind of, that's kind awesome. of come full circle. Yeah. So, so look, I met Brad. He was an assistant at the time for a very well-known um, uh, actress. Um, and I was in that circle, and Brad used to call, 
me up and our friends and invite me to these parties, and he basically just acted as you know, the role of an assistant, which they're supposed to do. But I got to the and I always loved talking to Brad. I mean, I was almost more interested in, I knew he was a young filmmaker. I loved talking to him. I loved meeting filmmakers, and I was kind of always, I would go to these parties and be less impressed with some of the celebrities and more just like, have a drink with Brad and get to know him. So, you know, he was he was very rough then and didn't know a lot about working with composers. I mean, he fully admits all this. And I said to him, well, look, you know, he was telling me about a film he wanted to get uh, going called Fast Forward. I said, look, if you ever need my assistance at all, don't worry about money. I want to just be there for you creatively. And it's about you know, six months later, he called me because, remember you said you were going to help me? <laughs> well, now I need you. And I, I believe in him so much. Uh, I believe in him as a creative person. I believe in him as a like a force and I believe in him as a someone who would who would uh, be a great partner you know a great friend and partner so you know you invest in those relationships and that's everything for a composer I mean that's 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 the path for almost every composer to get where they got right whether it's those relationships whether it's Coen Brothers and Carter Burwell or William Spielberg and it goes on and on Tornatore and Morricone it goes on and on and and ultimately you need that you know, a few of those great creative partners for their careers to grow, and then you know, hopefully they remain loyal, and hopefully politics does not allow you not to do their films, because that can happen too. Yeah, absolutely. But, it, but it's essential. I mean, it's the only way to build your career, and it's the only way to kind of grow and, and, and gain the trust of, of, of directors, and, you know, you kind of end up growing together, working on projects together, and pushing each other creatively. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, he scored his first feature, uh, The Take, and then he kind yeah. of went on to make, you know, he made some other great films, Lincoln Lawyer and Runner Runner, and he, he, yeah. he seemingly, he, ha- he looks like he had kind of a, an obsession with this kind of crime thriller genre, and now you're back together for The Infiltrator. Um, so when Brad pro- approached you again for the score, uh, what were the initial dialogues you guys had? What was, I mean, what did you guys think was needed musically, and how did you kind of set get set on the track of the musical goals that you ended up uh, yeah. kind of pursuing? Yeah, well, the way this film was financed, and Brad had a lot of uh, creative control into who he could hire, and so he hired a lot of his key people very early, including me. Normally, I don't get hired. A composer get hired to a poster. They start talking about it, you know. So I was on before they even shot. So, but Brad wanted that because we, you know, one thing that we were very, very obsessed with was finding this exact tone of what this film was going to be, right? Because you know, yeah, you got that period '80s thing, and I absolutely wanted to tap into that. I absolutely wanted to find my version of that. So, you know, we talked about it can have that feel, but, you know, 80 cents, that can be a, a perilous path. That can sound really cheesy and really corny, you know, and that's certainly not what we're doing for this film. This is, I mean, this wasn't meant to be a tongue-in-cheek 80s film. It right. wasn't meant to be a comedy, Miami Vice kind of comedy, lighthearted thing. This is a serious film about this man, this incredible story that this man lived in, in this mission. So I wanted that we talked about me finding a way to incorporate the 80s sounds and the textures of the 80s synths, but still combine that with my kind of sense of um, of the ambient textures. And then I was very hell-bent on putting the live string section on this because I knew that the string section would represent a lot of that emotional warmth and depth of the character. So that was always my intention to kind of Merge those three. Now, with that said, Brad's like, great, but you know, but what does that really mean? <laughs> That's fine to say, but no. But then I had to start to dig into doing some demos, and I was doing demos very early. Some to just a script, a few things to daily. But I did a lot of just ideas that were just like kind of global ideas, like you know, 
like Bob is Mission Team or, you know, Bob and Family. Just, just very generic titles. Right. We're trying to tap into what it was selling. I started working on demos, and Brad was very appreciative that I kind of kept him very, you know, even in his downtime. I and mean, when you're on a shoot, you have no downtime, but he said, just listening to some music for 10 minutes at the end of the night after a shoot, kept him connected to the film in a different way. So that's how we started working on that. You know, once I kind of started to finesse that, you know, obviously I couldn't really fully execute that until I saw the way the film was shot and edited and cut, but that was definitely the framework from how we started. Right. And uh, I mean, I did, and you mentioned it is kind of, it is more of an atmospheric, ambient kind of uh, approach. And I, and I loved how it created that atmosphere and you, and you had some, and you do have melodic structures and rhythmic textures and it was, um, um, but what was, what's the benefit of that approach versus going, you know, big, bold themes, big, bold melodies throughout the whole score? Was this kind of more, did you want it to be more nuanced and kind of kind of go underneath yeah. the layer a little bit? Kind of like he's infiltrating exactly. and the score kind of stays down that way too? A hundred percent. It's a great question. And it, I'll try to answer it somewhat briefly, but it, it's really the crux of what we were going for. Mm-hmm. Couple couple things. That character is so... There's so much that that character is dealing with in a complex way, and a lot of it is very internal. So, so he's undercover, he's posing as a fake person. So just the inherent structure of this guy being trapped and not able to be himself to me makes me, as a composer, feel I got to tap into something very internal, very emotional, and very nuanced. Because I feel like if you don't, you're not really being honest to sort of what the fabric of the film is. Right. That's number one. Number two, the big. You know, People will look at this film, if you don't know the film, and say, oh, it's an Escobar and Medellin drug cartel film. And it, it, yes, of course, on some level, but it's really not a cocaine film. It's not a Scarface. It's yeah. not meant to be. It's never what it's right. supposed to be. And what I was so intrigued by was these connections and the emotional aspect of this film. And, you know, um, Bob, the main character, you know, he's living this double life. He's, he's alienated from his family because he you know, has to leave his family's house. He has a fake fiance that he's you know, basically living with, right. and he ends up, you know, having real um, friend, a real friendship with one of the main characters that he's setting up, knowing full well that he's gonna, this guy's life and his family is gonna be forever changed. So, you know, like in the way Donnie Brasco maybe dealt with that, that little, you know, that little contrast and that little conflict. Right. So those are all the dynamics that were paramount. So for me. You know, yeah, there's, a couple, there's one or two moments in the score, you know, at the end, the big climax, where, you know, I can really, the strings have a big moment, but it's still a relatively, um, I don't want to say reserved, but you know what I mean, like a yeah. temperate score in a, lot, exactly. in a lot of ways. And it's a very dialogue-centric film, and then you've got those, and then you've got Brian Cranston, who, in a look, can emote more than anybody. Without a word, this guy on screen, you look at him, and I just felt like the worst thing I could ever do was to be to squash those moments, overcompensate, or somehow ruin them. You know, you know what I'm exactly. saying? Like, 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 right. Yeah, doing something wrong. I mean, it was actually quite daunting. When I started hearing, like, Manson Mother's I'm like, oh, my God. I started getting freaked the hell out. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like no, I, I got off my game. No, but it was so good for me as a composer to, like, go through that process and say, okay, what does that mean for me now, you know? Not, you know, maybe with a different actor, maybe with somebody that didn't interpret that role a certain way, I would do something different. But once I heard who was involved and how it was written and knowing what Brad gets out of his, uh, out of his actors, immediately that was the thing I always try to keep in my mind about what I was going to, how I was going to dig into this and make this, this score really part of the fabric of the film. Right. 
and uh, I mean, it, it, it is a thriller also, and it's and, you know, to create suspense musically. I think that's I feel like that's also very dependent on the edit and the way the scenes are built. But and it's, you mentioned that you were on this film very early, working very early. But as a composer, mm-hmm. do you have to deal with I guess the cut of the movie going through changes? Like, does a scene ever get recut and I guess completely mess up the momentum you were building musically? Does that ever happen? Like all the time, yeah. So first off, I love that question. Because these days, and it's it's just indicative of how people edit. You know, like it, it, nothing is ever ever. They can they can send you something that says lock, cut, final version nine point seven, and you just go, yeah, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. Until I wake up tomorrow. And right. So um, there, uh, this film had a very long editing process, and it was good for the film because the film is a dense film. There's a lot of characters. It, it took time to really really carve out exactly, you know, what the the right through line was and all that stuff. And Brad is very very fastidious in editing. So. Yeah, I mean, I was constantly working the different. I mean, I've had scenes that I, I that I revised sixteen times that didn't make the film. Wow! And all that stuff happened. But you know what? It's easy to like. Yeah, I mean, you know, part of me is like, okay, wow. But the other part of me is like, you know what? It's an exploration, and it's still good for me. It's like, in other words, some of those things I did reuse some of the places that worked in a good way. I'm like, oh yeah, that could work there. So that was great. Um, I, so I just embraced it for what it was. I just kept getting up and going, you know, just make it better. Use use the time. Because composers don't normally have that much time, you know. Exactly. Normally we're complaining there's not enough time. Right. I mean, there was some other there was some other challenges with the schedule that you know that dealt with like you know the, the final mix and when they locked the cut. That that was another story. But for the most part, I tried to use the time to just kind of get more honest and more pure about it. The other thing, um, Kyle, was when I studied all the um, uh, the '80s films, you know, which I wanted to kind of really get into the Blade Runners and Georgia Marauder right. and Tangerine Dream. I also, the other thing I, I noticed and I, I expressed this to Brad was that, um, you know, we live in an era now where, in my mind, every film is overspotted. There's too much music, wall-to-wall, all over the place. And in certain genres, I get it. Kids films, you know, like that kind of stuff, comedies, I kind of get it. But in dramas and any other genre of film, I feel like it's, it's ridiculous how much music is in the film. And I, and I think that that's to the detriment of the craft. Now, when I looked at the films in the 80s, and if you look at films in the 80s and 90s, you notice there's far less music, there's longer scenes, and then there could be five or six, seven minutes with no music, and mm-hmm. it's just a very different aesthetic, you know? Absolutely. And I thought that's brilliant because I, I responded to it because I felt like the music really, really had a, a beautiful place when it came in, it didn't get desensitized to so much music. So we tried to carry that tactic into the film, and, and the performances are so strong that, yeah, you can have two or three scenes in a row out of four or five minutes with no music. And it worked. And I think that, that also subliminally gave us the essence of an 80s film. You know what I mean? Because it's just the kind of thing that, like, an audience doesn't think about, but, you know, there's some sense in your mind that, like, that's the way films were made back then, you know? Right, and I and I and I, I definitely can take that from the score. Just if you just look at the score itself and the way you guys structured it, I mean, you have kind of shorter tracks, and it really looks like it's meant to the music is more strategically placed than kind of laying a whole blanket down over the whole thing. So it's definitely yeah, definitely uh, the effect is is felt, and and I think you guys did an amazing job. I think the such a great effort at, at building that suspense, that texture, that. And you mentioned that you didn't try to copy an '80s sound, and it's true. I when I describe the score, it's I like it has a vintage sound, but I, like I never immediately go, "Oh yeah, '80s." Like it was, it has that kind of vintagey sound, but definitely built its own identity. So I think you guys did an amazing job. Well, thank you, man. That was, I worked really hard at that, and I, I mean, you catch yourself sometimes. And look, it doesn't mean, you know, I, you know, 
you do the best you can. And, and you want all those talents to have their own character. But to me, it's how I put it together. It's almost, I looked at the writing of it. You know, there's, there's the writing of the stuff and then the production of the stuff. And, I, and the production of these kinds of scores that become these kinds of hybrids are almost you know, as important. And, and, it, and you spend more time on that. And I didn't want it to feel, even though you know, I described it as those three kind of approaches, I didn't want it ever to feel like it was evident, like, oh, now it's the strings, and now, okay, there's an ambient thing, and now there's an idiot you know, I wanted it to feel like this seamless and how it merges in and out. So that was always my goal, that like at any given time, it would be floating between that, those kinds of styles, you know, right, and, then, right. and hopefully create my own. The other thing was, you know, with the suspense and thriller aspect, you probably noticed this, but like there's almost no drums in this entire score. It's right. like very, very, very minimal. And that was by design. You know, we got in there and there's so many scenes when you see the film that you could say, you, you know, you go to like, you know, you go to that, those big drum palettes, you know, that, that mm. <laughs> film composer 101 <laughs> tactic that, that works, you know, and I get it. It works, but we didn't want to do that. And also, Brad just wasn't a fan of that. You know, I mean, a few moments I tried to bring in a little drums, you know, I snuck a few in there that he liked, but by the, his temperament, he didn't like that. And I kept saying, this is going to be a really cool challenge for me. And I kind of know what he meant. You know, it was sort of just, I think, our own way of, of giving more identity to what we were creating. So, we, you know, all the rhythmic, uh, all the intensities are, are, and, and pulses are created by synths and reverse sounds and, by and large, melodic instruments that are moving, you know, or, or, or pedals on synths stuff like that so wow. that's creating a lot of emotion not percussion and drums yeah wow <laughs> well uh lo looking up i guess uh what's coming up for you uh, it looks like uh, you might be breathing some new life into a, a new woody woodpecker film is that correct i saw it's on on your slate are you working with yes yeah, so i'm yes that's i'm reunited with alex Zam, another dear friend and, right. and terrific director so that's going to be an, uh, a feature animated version so i'll be back in the comedy world for that and excited about that and then I'm currently working on a very, very interesting series for Sony Crackle called Startup. And um, that is a, 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 a similar vein to Infiltrator, not, some, not with the retro you feel, mm -hmm. but very, very edgy, atmospheric um, sonic landscape. And it's a, it's a terrific series. I, I hope that it finds an audience because I think you're going to really like it. It's Martin Freeman and uh, Adam Brody, and it's, it's very well written and directed. Well, I can't wait to to dig into those. That's going to be exciting to, to to see them and hear what you got what you cooked up for them. Um, but uh, Chris, uh, well, thanks. Thank you again uh, for such an amazing and insightful chat. It's always a pleasure. And congrats on the great critical acclaim for Infiltrator and and the supremely engaging score you wrote for it. But uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Chris. Thanks. As well, thanks for making time, man, and all the best. And I uh, hope to talk to you again about some other projects.